First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 682 of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you guys. Got something very special for you today, something I have never done in the history of the podcast. Today's guest is not a dad, and he is not about to be a father either. Former Catholic priest Father Frank Pavone joins me on the podcast today. And that's right, I said former, so he is not even a father in the Catholic Church no longer. Frank Pavone is a longtime, big-time pro-life advocate he is the National Director of Priests for Life, the National Pastoral Director of Rachel's Vineyard. He is the head of the Silent No More campaign. He is an anti-abortion and pro-life activist. I understand today's episode, the topic is a very contentious one. It may ruffle some feathers out there. But Father Frank Pavone was defrocked by Pope Francis for being an over-the-top pro-life advocate. Uh, but let's be honest, it is because he is a supporter of Donald Trump. And that is really the number one reason I believe that he has been targeted by the Catholic Church and has been defrocked. Now, Father Frank did have good reason to be on board with President Trump because President Trump uh, was definitely by far the most pro-life president in the history of our country, the only president to speak at the March for Life. There are a ton of Catholics who are disappointed with Pope Francis, the leader of the Catholic Church, for a number of reasons. And as you guys hear me talk about all the time on this podcast, I focus on the fatherless crisis with the dads being removed from the home. Our Heavenly Father has been removed from our society. And those two contributing factors, I believe, are the one-two punch that is really just destroying our country. I myself am a Catholic. It makes no difference to me out there, the listener, what religion you are, what denomination you are. I just know this, that fathers have got a tremendous influence spiritually on their children's lives. They've got to be the spiritual leader of the family. And we are seeing it in the Catholic Church. The numbers are in decline. Christianity overall is in decline here in the United States. Uh, there was a poll done by the Catholic News Agency. Only 17% of Catholics in the United States are attending Mass regularly. Now, you combine this with the fact that so many families have been broken apart and our nuclear families are fractured, we are facing an epidemic in this country between faith and family. And just how important is the father's role in their kids' spiritual lives? Well, there was a study done a number of years ago, and it showed this, that if a father does not go to church, then no matter what the mom does, only one in 50 kids will become regular churchgoers as they get older. But if a father does go to church regularly, no matter what the mom does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of the children will become regular attenders at church. Dads make a major impact in their kids' faith journey. All right, you guys know from listening to the show, I am a faith-based guy. I pray with my family every day before we eat dinner. Uh, my three boys are altar boys at our local church. But the church is in crisis. Families are in crisis. I am going to talk about all of this today with Father Frank Pavone. Now, again, the abortion, pro-life, pro-choice movement, this entire topic, I understand it, it could ruffle some feathers out there. So I just encourage you to listen with an open mind today. We are going to talk. I mean, I know a lot of the um, topics that come from the pro-choice movement are what about if the mother is raped? What about if there's incest? Uh, what about if the mother's life is at stake? Those are usually the three go-to things from the pro-choice side. And I'm going to hit 
Father Frank Pavone with all of those today. We're going to talk about that, the family breakdown, and so much more. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast today. Father Frank Pavone will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Frank Pavone was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. If you'd like to watch today's conversation between the defrocked priest and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, hope you guys enjoyed my Super Bowl Media Day experience. If you missed out on that one, flip it back one episode and take a listen. And MyPillow 2.0, sales are still going on. Buy one, get one free over at MyPillow.com. Take advantage of that. Get over to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD. You can save up to 66% off on your entire order. And right now, take advantage of the buy one, get one free going on at MyPillow.com. All right, so let's get to it here. If you have an opportunity, please help me spread the word about this podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview right now, straight up, with Father Frank Pavone on First Class Fatherhood. It's an honor to have Father Frank Pavone here on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Great to be with you, Alec. Thank you very much. Yeah, I usually start this off. I'm always interviewing dads on the podcast here. I am a Catholic myself. Uh, The family unit and the breakdown of the family unit in this country is very near and dear to my heart. So I want to get your take on that, on abortion and a few other things. But before we get into that, if you could, uh, please take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background. Yes. Well, I am uh, the director of several pro-life organizations. I got involved in the pro-life movement back in 1976. And it was that same time that I felt a call to the priesthood. So I began to uh, do pro-life activities, got ordained in 1988, uh, started working full-time in the pro-life movement in 1993, heading up this group called Priests for Life. And uh, ever since then, we've built it into one of the largest pro-life ministries in the world and have been uh, just so, so blessed to be able to interact with people on every level in, in, in the world of government and in the world of, of pro-life and in the church and in just across America, working to defend the unborn. We do a lot of broadcasting, publishing, uh, seminars, traveling, speaking, uh, and uh, and just uh, praying with people to bring an end to abortion. That's um, That's who I am and what I do. Yeah, I really love what you do. I'm a big fan of you and what you you brought to the pro-life movement. Now, for me, as far as um, uh, being, number one, an American, uh, number two, uh, you know, just a, a family man, a man of God, all this stuff. I know growing up, it was always said that politics and religion is something you never talk about. Keep that stuff out of the discussion. <laughs> uh, but it seems like today, almost every single issue is become has become political. There's no way around it. It seems like no matter where where your opinions lie, there's a political side to it, and it's become very more difficult to even have a conversation without it somehow veering off into the path of politics, which then becomes like a chaotic conversation. And there's no doubt about that. But two points here. One, as an American, very, very uh, concerned about the direction uh, my country is headed. Uh, and number two, as a Catholic, very concerned about the way my Catholic church is headed. Uh, so I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this is it seems as this as though. Uh, the Catholic Church has been a kind of quiet 
uh, about abortion, especially what's happened to you, obviously being defrocked uh, by the Catholic Church uh, for speaking out uh, about abortion. Is this something that's going on in the Catholic Church? Are you the only one of the pro-life priests that's been targeted like this? Is this something that's going on within the Catholic Church? And when did you give the listeners a little bit about how you were defrocked a whole bit? Well, there is a division within the church, just like there's a division within the nation. And, uh, you know, the divisions are no longer what they what they used to be, where, like, for example, in religion, you would have, uh, you know, the Anglicans over here, Presbyterians, Catholics, etc. Uh, the, the divisions now are more horizontal. And what I mean is that, you know, you and I as Catholics may have more in common with our uh, Baptist uh, uh, next door neighbor than we do with our parish priest. And 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 because the the division is around the um uh, the 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 the, so the basics like do we really believe in the word of God do we apply it practically do we let it shape our politics are we are we seeing the abortion problem for what it is and giving it the emphasis that it deserves I've been getting giving this message in the Catholic community for the last thirty years as we briefly mentioned and 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 I've been urging the church to do more about abortion and frankly to do more about politics to increase our comfort level with that discussion you just referred to about religion and politics they do mix we do need to talk about them and for all of these reasons many in the church have become uncomfortable with me and with the message my organization gives uh and it's not just me there are millions of people that support us and so they got they've gotten nervous and they've tried in various ways over the years. This is not just a recent development, but uh, some bishops have tried over the years to silence my message or to tone it down or to, you know, get me to do something else, you know, and that hasn't worked. None of their efforts have worked. So that's why they took the drastic step recently of saying to me, you can no longer be a priest. Well, the problem is that's not going to stop our message and it's not going to stop people from supporting our message as our interview here indicates very clearly, and thank you for your support, uh, the church has to face up to what's going on here. We're, we're not any longer just talking about simply uh, policy differences when it comes to politics. We're talking about differences on the level of principle. In other words, two candidates might have different ideas about how to reduce crime, right? But the, the disagreement is not going to be about whether we should reduce crime. You're not going to see a candidate campaigning for the right to crime, uh, although some of the things that have happened lately make you wonder even if we're heading that way. Uh, but the point is that's on the level of principle. What are the things that we all agree on as fundamental self-evident truths, to borrow a phrase from the, the Declaration of Independence, that there is a right to life, uh, that we do have to have freedom? You know, We're facing attacks on those basic principles. And my position is, and I'm sure the position of many of our much many in our audience is that you can't be neutral when it comes to that. You, you can't be neutral when it comes to the defense of life, the defense of freedom. I share your concern for the country because we have people in certain leadership positions who don't seem to care about those very fundamental principles. And when we reach that point, we have all got to speak up boldly and clearly. There's no doubt about it, Father. And also, too, you look at the other side of this, the pro-choice. They're not backing down. They're going all in. And it has gotten so difficult to even have a conversation, like a cordial conversation about this, because it goes to the extreme so quickly. You could start the conversation at 10 miles an hour. Before you know it, you're on the Autobahn. I mean, it, it, yeah. it goes lightning <laughs> fast. And the other, the other side also, too, what really uh, bothers me 
uh, about the conversations or about this entire debate is when you see like a few years ago, New York City uh, lit up the Freedom Tower in pink in honor of their uh, late term abortion law uh, that they late uh, term. And we just even with this thing uh, that, that has recently passed where you don't even give uh, support to a child that survives the abortion attempt and, and people that are for that. And then you also see these uh, pro-choice people that are not only just fighting for their point of view, but they're out there with uh, fake dolls that are covered in blood, like they're spiking a football and they're so proud of their abortions and they're like championing it. And it's kind of sickening to see that it's gotten so extreme on that side. It's one thing to have these kind of conversations in a heart to heart, but one thing to be like, like I said, celebrating and spiking the football that you're ending a life. Uh, I, I think it's gotten so radical from the other side and if and if the pro-life movement doesn't step up to meet that type of intensity, then why even play the game? You know, you you pointed out something that shows how bad things have become. And there was just a vote the other day. I was there in Congress uh, uh, when this happened, uh, a vote on expanding protection for babies who actually survive abortions, because that sometimes happens, especially with these late term de- procedures, which are more like deliveries, um, the, the babies will survive. So if you have a baby on the table there in the procedure room who is outside the mother's body and breathing on his or her own, can you kill that baby? And and that's what this, this, this uh, law that was voted on, it was passed by the House of Representatives to expand protections for these babies. The Republicans have been trying to get it passed for years and years. The Democrats have opposed it. There was only one Democrat in the more than 200 of them in the House of Representatives that voted to expand protections for such babies. I mean, this is insanity. It's just insanity. Uh, And and this is where, you know, to help the conversations about political things, which I want to urge our audience, don't be afraid of those conversations. But at the same time, Try to take an, an approach that would tamper down the, the 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 venom or the or the agitation. And one of the ways you can do that is is to ask questions in a very calm way and to try to get down to people's experience. Uh, you know, for example, when it comes to this question of babies born alive, many folks on the other side will just jump to to saying, "Well, well, you're making this up." You know, and and right away, I mean, that can escalate a conversation because it's like. You're accusing me of lying. I'm trying to converse with you about something important. Why are you saying I'm making it up? But if everyone could have at their fingertips just a little bit of information, it could calm things down. Because, for example, the website bornalive.us has, and this is one of the websites our ministry has created, it has the basic facts. That because there are states that keep track of this. There is the uh, There are federal uh, statistics on this, babies that are born alive after a failed abortion, people want to say, oh, this doesn't happen. It does. And 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 But if you have that information at your fingertips, simple website, bornalive.us, you can say to people in a very calm way, listen, you may disagree with me on this. I understand it's a volatile topic. Take a moment, check out that website, see that, see for yourself that this is really happening, and then we can come back and have a rational conversation. Or to point out something that happened just um, yesterday, we were in Washington, D.C. I was also in San Francisco uh, for the for the Walk for Life. And, and at both of these events, the March for Life and the Walk for Life, I led the gathering of the Silent No More campaign 
uh, another project of our ministry where those who've had abortions speak out about their experience. So if you're talking with somebody and it gets volatile, you're talking about abortion, and it's like you say to them, well, have you listened to those who have actually done it? I mean, it's one thing to argue about opinions, but there's experience here. And people who've had abortions, could we listen to their voices and ask, did it help them? Are they saying it was good? Did it fulfill its promises or did it cause more problems? And when you listen to these voices of testimony, you realize, yeah, it causes more problems. That's where where it also connects with your theme of father, about fathers, because we have fathers sharing their experiences of losing a child to abortion. And these men are, are, are devastated by that. And there's a lot of suffering going on among these fathers uh, because of the lie of abortion. There's no doubt about it, Father. My wife and I, we went through several miscarriages. And so that experience, we have four children we're blessed with. But we had, like I said, we went through several miscarriages. And just that process alone is very devastating. And yes. so, to, to, and, and plus, fathers are kind of pushed out of this whole conversation when it comes to abortion so many times as if they have no say whatsoever in what happens with the child. Uh, but, but it seems like it, it overwhelmingly, it seems like this issue is about being, it, it, everybody points to the extreme, uh, someone is raped someone has incest or the mother is going to die on the table unless they abort the kid. Like they go to those three extremes when you're yeah. having this conversation. And I, I would uh, obviously that that's a very small minority, but there are cases where this is, that does happen. Sure. But I would, I would argue that the overwhelming majority of these is it's a conversation about being able to have sex without having any responsibility for having the sex. And our culture is pushing sexual images, pornography. They are making it so inviting for you to just have sex with no responsibility. And it seems like you're taking away my right to have a good time and making me have to pay the price for my good time seems to be the overwhelming majority of abortion cases. But these ones come up, the rape, the incest, the mother dying. Could you address those three issues as it it pertains to the pro-life movement and their view on it? Well, yes, we have the greatest compassion, of course, for people who have been victims of rape or incest, and also, of course, for those who have medically complicated pregnancies, which, of course, arise uh, uh, with regularity in our society. But in none of those cases is that problem solved by killing the baby. Uh, in cases of rape, we have many people uh, in our in our campaign. I was just last night with the leader of an entire group of people who were conceived in rape. And they make it clear, and the studies that have been done show, that women who have been raped, they're not looking for abortion as much as people around them are suggesting it to them. They're looking for help for themselves and for their child. If you abort that baby, first of all, of course, people will say, hey, wait a minute, the baby didn't do anything wrong. And and, and that's true. But I would start even with a different thought, which is, is it going to help that mother? Does the abortion unrape her? Uh, Or does the abortion bring its own trauma that compounds the pain she already has from the rape? That indeed, again, looking at experience, not just at arguments, that again is what we find to be the case. The abortion doesn't help her. So we want to help her. We should all have even more compassion for the victims of sexual assault. But friends, we just got to face the facts. It's not an abortion that helps her. Let's help her with really life-giving solutions that will help both her and her baby. As far as medically complicated pregnancies, again, I interact with doctors and and, and medical experts for whom this is their field of specialty, uh, medically complicated pregnancies. And they always, first of all, in medicine, they understand you have two patients here. You have that mother, you have that baby. 
you got to care for both patients. You can't kill one in order to help the other. But the good news is, medically speaking, you don't have to kill anybody. The baby can be delivered early. You do everything you can to help both the baby and the mother. But but the complications of pregnancy uh, do not require, you can't jump right away to the killing of the baby as a solution. Uh, they, they, they do not require that. They require extra care for that pregnant mom. Uh, and then, of course, early delivery of the child with, with the most help being given to have the child survive as well. Uh, that's the good news in these in these cases. You 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 and 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 so be aware, uh, brothers and sisters, not to let people just automatically uh, jump to abortion as a solution. You got to consider all these facts first. Yeah, right on with that. I love what you have to say there, and especially when it pertains to rape. It seems as though uh, everyone takes it out on the unborn baby, and nobody takes it out on the rapist. We allow yes. the rapist right back out onto the street to do this again, and God forbid we lock the guy up for life. That's right. that's off the question, you know. So they're yeah. usually, I think, the average is like eleven years for a convicted rapist that does time, and then he's back out into the street. So yeah. uh, I, th- something needs to be done about that as well, I would argue. But but it does seem like I, I, I will say this: as a Catholic, I was a little bit disappointed. Pointed when the, the Roe versus Wade uh, overturned decision came out, I really expected so much more from the Catholic Church in a sense yes. of, hey, you know, we, this fight has been going on for years. It's like we right. finally had we a victory. It. We did and it. was no right. celebration. It's like it was like in the, in, the, in the Super Bowl, your team scores a touchdown and nobody nobody stands up and applauds. <laughs> it, it was so crazy. I didn't hear what I was expecting to hear. And I, and I know that um, it, it was been it's been a fight for so long. And why why was the Catholic Church kind of so toned down on the Roe versus Wade when that happened, where you think they'd be out there at first celebrating? This was a very strange thing. Uh, you know, and, and it goes to why a ministry like ours, Priest for Life, exists, because people say, well, you know, Father Frank, isn't every priest for life? And I say, well, we just help them to say so. And, and, and what you're saying goes right to that point. It's like, yeah, we know we're pro-life. The teaching of the church is clear. The goal of the church has been clear. Get rid of Roe v. Wade so that we can protect these babies. And yet, the, who was saying who was saying it when, when it actually happened? Um too much silence. And now the silence has a lot of different causes. Uh, I mean, I think that, um, well, we know from, from consulting with priests over these decades and helping them that many of them are just afraid of controversy. Uh, they think that they're going to appear political. Unfortunately, many times they are told by their, by their diocese or their religious superior bishop or whatever, they're told, hey, listen, don't talk about anything that's going to divide the people or make them angry. And everybody knows, you know, as as you started off by explaining, very often these conversations about abortion make people angry. Uh, but, but, but that doesn't take away the responsibility of the church to address the issue. And we see, however, the, many of these clergy falling into that trap of fear. I'm afraid. I don't want to get people angry. I don't want the backlash. And then, and then we end up not being who we're called to be as a church, a, a compassionate, clear, courageous voice for life. Uh, we certainly, uh, not only in Priests for Life, but in the, in the partnership that I have with the national pro-life leaders, we are all of us together. Uh, and we just did this, of course, in, in, in the March for Life are celebrating this great victory and we have to understand the victory. We have to understand what the court did and then build on it to advance the protection of the unborn. So friends, if you hear nothing but silence uh, from the pulpit, 
uh, about abortion, uh, I just want to encourage our audience, speak to your pastors and say in a very kind and, and, and humble way, say, hey, we, we, we need to hear more about this issue. We need to be encouraged in the pro-life battle. Yeah, because there's no doubt that when there is a victory of some significance on the other side, on the pro-choice movement, you do hear from them. They are not silent. They're out painting the town. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So it's very discouraging. And I know, obviously, uh, Donald Trump, it's become such a a magnetic figure and it makes people mad by just saying the name. I had his son, Eric, on the on the show here a few times. I got a lot of backlash just for having him on. Nothing about the discussion that we had, but just the name alone drives people bananas. Uh, for some reason. Now, obviously, you can disagree with him on many cases, but when it comes to this, he's the only president that I know of that actually marched in the March for Life uh, right. as a president of the United States. And then you see you have a guy like, and he's not the, not even Catholic. And you have somebody, Joe Biden, who is Catholic, who now is pro-choice. So you would think just from that, you don't have to agree with everything else they stand for, but on that, on that point, you would have to try to give some respect to the fact that what ha- what Trump has done for the pro-life movement. But it seems like even in that, people are afraid to even give him props for what he did for that. Well, Alec, I want to back up what you just said, because as someone who's been a full-time national pro-life leader for 30 years, and I worked hard for George W. Bush for his election, we worked with his administration, we were with him when he signed pro-life bills, uh, uh, and, and, and we're grateful for, for the pro-life leadership that he gave. But no president has done more for the pro-life cause than, than Donald J. Trump. Uh, and we've been at his side uh, for all the things he has done. Everything within his power uh, he has done uh, for these babies and for this movement. Uh, we wouldn't have had the victory over Roe v. Wade without President Trump. Uh, and, and, and the thing for people to realize is that this is something that he does out of out of sincere conviction. Uh, and it's something that he does, which enjoys the support of, of the American people. The American people don't want unrestricted abortion. What we have to see about people like you mentioned about Biden, who claims to be a Catholic, it's not just being, uh, oh, we should allow abortion. OK, a lot of Americans feel that way. They wouldn't do it themselves. They think it's they even think it's bad, but they think, oh, well, you know, it should be allowed. And therefore, they call themselves pro-choice. But what we're seeing in Biden and and Pelosi and the Democrat Party generally is way worse than that. They are pushing for more and more abortion at every turn. They are looking for more and more money to go into the abortion industry. They are working to take away even the most modest restrictions on abortion and, and, and even protections, like we said before, for babies who survive abortion. This is crazy. The American people have never agreed with this. Never. They never. You never see any statistics that say Americans want abortions to be legal in the sixth, seventh and eighth month of pregnancy. It's just not it's just not where we, we've ever been. And yet these people, if you ask the Biden Pelosi, well, are you in favor? Would you be in favor of a law that that stops abortions when you after the fifth month, let's say they they, they, they won't give you a clear answer. They're, they're not because they're not in favor of. And it's like, wow, these people are not just allowing abortion. They're apostles of abortion. They're pushing for it. And that's very, very evil. It's sickening to see. It really is. And I know that the argument, too, is so many people have to believe that it's not a life. That's obviously the big push from that side, because 
if they do believe it's a life, then it's murder. So for them, they have to continue with the front of this is not a life. And they go with that argument. I know that the uh, rapper there, Tom McDonald, recently had a, a, a song that came out where he points out if they find like a, a little speck of bacteria on Mars, on they, Mars, the headlines life on Mars. That's but right. A heartbeat in a baby is not life on Earth. And it's very, very uh, mind boggling yeah. to hear, you know, those arguments. And, and I wanted to get your take on Pope Francis, just because for myself as a Catholic, I'm not a fan of him at all. I don't I don't like what he's done for the Catholic Church. I think as a Catholic, just like as an American, we have the right to criticize our president. As a Catholic, we have the right to criticize our pope. And it just even little things like how he didn't want uh, any more. The thing he said about Latin masses and wanted to pull back on Latin masses. Like, I, I that's one thing I wish they would bring back more of uh, that tradition of the Latin masses. But just things with him uh, really irked me. And I kind of wanted to get your take. What, what's your opinion here on Pope Francis? I, 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 I get so much uh, uh, reaction of exactly what you just said. Millions and tens of millions of Catholics are feeling the very same thing. And I'm, I'm disturbed by it as well. I've actually had some good interactions with him face to face. He's I've talked with him, I don't know, four or five times over the years. And, and he's encouraged my work and, and my ministry, especially with the healing of the wounds of abortion. But for reasons that I really don't understand, uh, there are so many things that come out from his, uh, from his office and, and things that he says that are confusing to people and things that he does that are just confusing to people. So I always say this, look, it's, it's, it's okay. As you rightly said, and the Pope Francis himself agrees, you know, Hey, you can criticize things I do or say, you know, that's a, you know, it's part of our, that's part of just being human, you know, being mature, you know, we express our, our disagreements. Um, but when, 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 when you feel uh, uh, confused by something that the Pope says, um, or maybe something that your pastor says, you know, it's okay to be confused about something that they say. We never have to be confused about what the faith says. And that's, I think, the solution to all of this. You know, every every pontificate is temporary. Popes come, popes go. We've been spoiled in our lifetime. We've lived under saints as popes. You know, John Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, John Paul II. These are saints. So the thing to focus on, six little words, what the church has always if we focus on those six words, we can ma- we can navigate through any storm. The Pope can talk, say confusing things, do things that don't seem to be right. God will 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 judge all of us, including the, 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 the Pope. Let's just stay focused on what the church has always taught. Let's make sure we're passing that on to our children and grandchildren and encouraging our fellow believers in that faith and living it out, living it out to the best of our ability. And then we'll be just fine. Amen. Yeah, I love that. And it does. Sometimes I wonder, too, just like I do when we know uh, Biden is tweeting on Twitter. We know it ain't him that's writing these tweets that are coming out. It's just yeah, like I wonder yeah. sometimes with the Vatican, who's yeah. actually putting together some of these things? Well, and, and you know, Alec, they should be transparent about that. Right. Right. Tell, tell us. I think transparency goes a long way in resolving a lot of these problems. Because in a lot of my own conflicts with people in the hierarchy, I have found uh, uh, just this opaqueness, this lack of transparency, this lack of willingness to just be open. Uh, I'm an open book. You know, I do a daily diary online. I, I tell people what I did every single day from the moment I get up to the moment I went to bed, go to bed. Because I think for, for a person in my position, public leadership, a lot of people supporting the ministry, I, I think it's incumbent on us to be as transparent as we can. I, I'd like to see a little more transparency from these religious leaders, just like I'd like to see from our political leaders. And that's one of the great things, going back to President Trump, 
You always knew where he stood. You might not agree with it, but you knew where he stood. You knew how he felt, and you knew it immediately. You know, with his tweets and everything, I I didn't have any problem with the with the tweets. I said, hey, this is the most transparent administration that we've ever had. Transparency goes a long way, and it's very consistent with the gospel too. You know, that God wants us to be. You know, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? There shouldn't be stuff that you're hiding, you know, that you don't want you don't want people to know about. Let's just be open. With we know we're all sinners. We know we all we're all imperfect. We correct one another. That's why it's good. We disagree with one another. We can help each other improve. And uh, I think that's the way forward. Yeah, come to me hot or come to me cold. Don't come to me yeah. warm. I spit you out, right? I, yeah. I, I agree. And, and and transitioning this into the family here, uh, yes. Father, if yes. we could. Now, one of the things, obviously, with the abortion is, man, could we get to a place where we don't have to have so many millions of abortions and put right. these women in these positions to have to make a decision in the first place? And right. a lot of that comes from the home. A lot of that comes from your upbringing. Uh, and, and a high percentage of teenage pregnancies are coming from girls that grow up with no father in the home. No it fathers. affects their menstrual cycle. It affects, it affects so many things on a biological level and a yeah. psychological level for, for, the, for the young women and also for the young men who then turn to violence. Our prison systems are filling up in this country primarily with one specific characteristic, and that is a young man from a fatherless household. And so I think if we have to do something now, I know that the divorces are are sky high. I don't know how serious people are taking pre-cana anymore when they're going through these uh, uh, process before they get married. Uh, but I think it's more important about the the party and about who the DJ is going to be and what the dances are rather than what are they going to do together and seeing their future together and answering some of these questions. So I wanted to get your take on the fatherless crisis in this country and how we can solve it. It is at the root of so many problems. I, I see it in the work I do and any other issue too. breakdown of the family. The, the family is the cell of society. If you have healthy families, you're going to have a healthier society. If you have families that are falling apart and, you know, you, we talk about evangelizing the family. Well, to evangelize the family, you got to find the family. Where did it go? And 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 the absence of fathers is a, a fundamental aspect of the breakdown of the family. Therefore, the breakdown of the culture, the breakdown of society and all these other problems that that occur. Uh, God's word, if you look at it from you can look at it from the scientific aspects, statistically, uh, at the root of so many psychological and social problems, absence of fathers. You look at it biblically and spiritually, you see the same thing. God is our father. And, and in scripture, it's just not about acknowledging him as the father of, of, the, of, the, of the whole human family. It's about acknowledging that all fatherhood comes from him. And, and so the biblical truth that God is our father is also an exhortation and a, and a, and a command to be fathers. So whether it's in the family, that's of course where it starts. Be present, be strong, be loving, be faithful. This is the God's command to fathers. But then we need fathers in the pulpits. We were just talking about our church leaders. They need to be men. They need to be fathers. They need to be strong. They need to do for the spiritual community what a natural father does for his physical family. The same kind of virtues are necessary. And, um, you know, we always say if a young man wants to become a priest, you know, we always look out for, you know, what is his attitude towards marriage? And if he says something like, oh, well, I could never do that, you know, that, that's just too much sacrifice involved in that. Well, then I said, oh, well, then you wouldn't make a good priest either. You have to, the best priests would be the people who make the best fathers. 
So we need fatherhood in the church. We need fatherhood in the political arena. We can't have wimps up there uh, uh, trying to lead a nation. You don't lead a nation without the virtues of a father. The love, the compassion, the courage, the clarity, the decisiveness, the strength. Okay, we have all these problems. Applying it to the issue that I'm most familiar with, abortion, you know, we were talking before about you know, why Why is this It's so easy for people to get abortions? Because these women feel so isolated. The men, now, whether they're married or not, or whether marriage is, is the best thing going forward or not, that's an open question. Because in many of these cases, the, 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 the two who conceive the child really should not be together, should not be married. Let's put that question aside. But just the role of the man there, who is physically, biologically, the father of that child that's been conceived, they so often make a mistake of thinking that the best thing for them to say to that to that woman is, oh, it's your choice. I'm respecting your choice. Hands off. You know, step away. I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to force you what to do. The guy might think that that's the best approach, but think of it from the woman's perspective. What that does, it makes her feel more isolated. Oh, you're putting this burden. Oh, now it's just on me. It's just on my show. Life or death to this child. Now you're just leaving me alone to make the decision. How about instead, these young men learn to step up to the plate and to say, listen, I'm. we did this together. I'm going to stick with you and with this baby. We're going to see this through. We're going to get the help we need. That doesn't mean necessarily that we're meant to be together, but it means there's a life here now that we're both responsible for. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to abandon you. That's what these men have to be able to say. And that goes to the core of this fatherless problem, because at the core, whether you're talking about an abortion situation or any of the other social situations, the, this, the, the, the fork in the road for these men, for these fathers, is the difference between faithful presence and abandonment. Am I going to stick with the people that God put right in front of me, or am I going off on my own? That's the fork in the road. That translates then specifically into hundreds of different issues. But I think we can we can identify it right there. And ultimately, again, putting it in, in more spiritual terms, it's the call to respond to the vocation of love. Love such a misused and abused word, but it's basically about self, self-giving, self-sacrifice. I have a person in front of me right now. Either I'm going to love them, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the good of the other person, or I'm going to abandon them. I'm going to sacrifice them for my own good. That's the opposite of love. This is what makes real men, real fathers, to make that choice of love. Real, really great stuff, Father. And we, we, we are in an epidemic right now when it comes to fatherhood, when it comes to men in general. Men have been just crippled in this country, and crippled. it's really hurting, hurting our society, hurting our family units. And when that family unit is, is broken apart, everything else falls by the way. You just throughout history, uh, where you see the fall of empires, you always see, I mean, you can make even the arguments for Rome, you can have three, four, five reasons for the, the invasion of the barbarians, the whole bit, but you can't right. even have that conversation without, at the core, the family fell apart. And it, it just seems like it's happening here in this country, and it's happening at, at a very alarming rate. It is. And, you know, Alec, to bring up one more thing about that, it's falling apart. You're, you're on time. And I just want to thank you for the work that you do, because putting the spotlight on this is, is it's essential for saving America. It's essential for, 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 for the salvation of souls. It's essential for everything. Uh, uh, but, but we don't only see it falling apart. 
we see it under deliberate attack. And, and, and this is what's so crazy, you know, going back to what we were talking before about politi- politics and being politically neutral. We can't be neutral when the family's under attack. But it is under attack. And we see what the what the Democrat Party is doing. And we see movements like Black Lives Matter. Oh, it sounds so nice, you know. And yet when you look at what their core beliefs are, you see that attack on the nuclear family. We've got to expose what's going on here. And 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 the policies, the kind of laws they want to pass, the kind of judges they want to put on the courts, the left, the radical left, which is taking control of the Democrat Party, is, is just a abandoning any notion of family. Family is oh, whatever you whatever you want it to be. We've even gotten to the point where we can't say a man is a man or a woman is a woman. And, you know, Alec, I say maybe we've gotten to that point because for 50 years we've been saying a baby's not a baby. That's the break with reality. You know, you, if you can't uh, uh, acknowledge the validity of the biological truth of who you are, male or female, you know, you, you can't acknowledge the biological truth of who that baby is. That's a human being in the womb. So we we see this outright attack. It's a vigorous attack. It's an attack by people who have a lot of resources and they're putting, they're aiming those, those resources at destroying what we believe in. So the re- restoration of this, the restoration of fatherhood, the restoration of the family, among other things, requires a battle-ready mindset. Some people don't like to talk about culture wars or the whole terminology and analogy of war is is unpleasant to, to people. But in a sense, for those who use it, that's the point to show how indeed unpleasant it is. We're not trying to make it a, a fun thing. We're, we're trying to point out that this is a real problem here. Uh, this is a war. And we've got to have a battle-ready mindset that we're going to go in. We've got to aggressively defend what we believe in in, in terms of the family and aggressively uh, uh, defend it, in the, including in the realm of politics and in the realm of all the other things that we do. Ultimately, I think the best defense is this, living it. When we have strong family, and we've got a lot of strong families out there, we've got a lot of heroic fathers. I meet them all the time. I'm sure you meet them all the time. And it's like, put them on the pedestal. Let your light shine, as the Bible says. Showcase, give the testimonies, tell the world the joy you have in living out that vocation of love, that self-giving generosity, that strength. We flourish with that. Let's encourage And also, let's shine the light on these beautiful, strong families, these wonderful, loving fathers who are all around us. They need not only our encouragement, but part of this battle is to let their light overcome the darkness of those who are being unfaithful and those who are attacking these things we believe in. Yeah, very well said. And this is the whole mission that I'm on here, Father. The guys that I've had on this show, people know them as Academy Award winners, Super Bowl MVPs, Navy SEALs. But who they really are at the core are fathers. And that's what they're most proud of in their life. And here on this show, they get an opportunity to talk about what's really, truly important to them. These are guys that wouldn't go on normal podcasts because they're talking about the same old thing. But when they get the opportunity to speak about fatherhood, they light up because it's really, truly at their core what really gives them fulfillment in life. And we need to start showcasing that. They're more than just entertainers or celebrities or people we look up to. And we're looking up to them for the wrong reasons. We need to start and they need to we need to get them on that platform 
to speak the truth about how they really feel about fatherhood. Because if you wanted to destroy a nation, if the enemies of our country were all together in a room and they were plotting out the destruction of our country, destroying the nuclear family would be one of the top things they would talk about. How do we break their families apart? Because once you do that, you've got free reign to do whatever else you want. And if they all got together and they they got the best plot to destroy our country, what would happen is what you're seeing happen right now and taking place before our eyes. Exactly. That's exactly right. God bless you for doing that and, and all those men that come on your program. Well, last thing I, I want to veer it here too. It, it, last thing I'll touch on is the, the future of the Catholic Church here. Where do you? I mean, you mentioned before uh, young men that want to become priests. Hey, would you make a good um, husband? Would you make a good father? It seems like the Catholic Church is losing the interest from young men wanting to enter into the vocation of the priesthood, mm. and it seems to be an alarm. An, an alarm. I remember, you know, my father was born in 1930, had me when he was 50 years old. My, my mother and dad, father came from a, from a much older school than most of the people I grew up with, and back then when they were growing up, if a, a child in the family was going to become a priest, it was a big celebration. It was an honor for that family that had a child that was becoming a priest. It was looked at much differently than it's looked at today. So I just kind of wanted to get your, your take on what are the challenges right now facing the Catholic church and where do you see it moving forward? Well, we have to constantly be focused on Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes when an institution gets very big and it's a religious institution, uh, the temptation is to focus more on the institutional things than on the person who got it started in the first place. And in this case, it's it's Jesus Christ himself who's alive, uh, with whom we can have a relationship. And the church can only grow when the church is constantly pointing to him and actually living the life that he offers to us all. As a result of that, people who are going are going to see the faith that abides within the Christian community, and that's what will attract them to be a priest. You, you can't have a, a, a sincere desire to, to, to enter into that kind of a life without a, a, a deep faith. And, uh, and they also have to see, you know, I say to various dioceses where they have these vocation programs. Oh, let's, let's do a, uh, let's do a project to try to get more guys interested in the priesthood. Well, one of the things you have to make sure those young men are seeing is that you're treating well the priests you already have. Uh, Otherwise, why are they going to want to join that group? Uh, But, but ultimately it does come down to the same thing we were just discussing that when there's strong faith, there's going to be strong families And then that shines a light that people are going to be attracted to. And that's why we want people then to come to church, not not because of some gimmick or slick advertising campaign, but because they see that people living the faith have something that they want, that we we need to make people look at us and say, wow, that those people gathering there for those, those worship services, look how joyful they are. Look how generous they are. Look how faithful they are. I want some of that. Look, look, they're strong when they, when, when, when sorrow or tragedy afflicts them, they still remain strong. They still remain good people. I want some of that. And, and this is the future of the church. We're in a rough, rough spot right now because there's so much of a, of a loss of, 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 of that. But ultimately within the church, there are many movements. And, uh, you know, aside from just, don't just look at, you know, the parishes, the dioceses, the structures of the church. Look at the movements within the church. There are many great movements. The pro-life movement is one of them, uh, although it transcends the boundaries just of the Catholic Church. But, but, but movements are where I think today 
we see some of the most vibrant life of faith and people are coming and they're attracted to it. Uh, and these movements have different missions, you know, for some of us, it's defending the unborn. Others, it's going to be uh, feeding the poor, building homes for the homeless and all these various good works that are out there. Uh, find the faith there, be attracted to it and, and, and latch onto it there. And uh, always focus, like we said before, what the church has always taught, what the church has always lived. That's what's going to sustain us going into the future. Yeah, great stuff, Father. And, and, and the last thing I want to hit you with here, I always ask uh, everybody they get on the podcast here, uh, what type of advice do you have for the new parent that's out there or for that about-to-be parent that's out there listening? The new parent. Wow, what a privilege to be able to cooperate with God himself in bringing about new life. There is nothing uh, like that. Uh, there is nothing more wondrous. Uh, and just never lose your sense of awe. There are going to be many burdens. There are going to be many challenges. There are going to be many days and nights when you're exhausted. You already know that if you're a new parent. In the midst of it all, every day, ask God and ask yourself, give me that sense of awe and wonder, that sense of joy and reverence, that sense of, oh my goodness, there is something here I don't deserve. Uh, this is bigger than I am. I can't do this without God. But what a what a what a what a joy this is. That sense of awe and reverence will keep you going. And finally, remember this: that when you were married, you were not the only one that made vows. Whatever promises you made uh, to the mother or or, or 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 to the father of that child, it wasn't just you making promises. God was making a promise, and the promise he made was that every day of your life, every moment of your parenting, he would be there to give you the strength to do what you have to do and endure what you have to endure. Draw on that promise. Keep God faithful to that promise, Go because he will be. Go to him and cash in, so to speak, on that promise. Through prayer, take his hand in every situation because he's not going anywhere and he'll be there and make your parenthood something that is uh, successful on a human level and spiritually fruitful for eternal life. Amen. I, I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Frank Pavone, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here at First Class Fatherhood. Thanks, Alec. God bless you. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.